Welcome to the Paranovice Podcast. I'm Taylor and this is Chris. And join us as we explore the known, unknown, and well, strange. I'm pretty excited about St. Patrick's Day and I've always felt that St. Patrick's Day is by far one of the most fun spring holidays. Well, it is definitely one of the ones that I know is most celebrated around here. Yeah. Besides Christmas. And you get to dress in like your your fine... Yeah, except Christmas. (laughs) That's true. Your finest green and head to a pub or parade or or both. (laughs) Indulge in delicious Irish food. How much do we really know about St. Patrick's Day? I was pretty clueless to a lot of it. There is, you know, I didn't know a lot about it either. You know, we did the, uh, when we looked up St. Nick, this is completely different. Yes, it is completely different. So we're going to fill you in on some fun little tidbits, fun or maybe not so fun, (laughs) about St. Patrick's Day. And I think the best place to start is with St. Patrick himself, which is really, there's not a lot known about St. Patrick. Nobody knows when he was born. Nobody knows where he was born. Nobody knows when he died. Nobody knows where he died. In fact, there's only two writings that specifically mention him in his lifetime, and they're both written by him. One was a confession towards the end of his life, and one was a letter to a person named Caroticus, who was basically from England that had fought and killed some um, Irishmen that he had just baptized. So he wrote them a scathing letter that they had killed good Christians. But really that's the next stuff written about him isn't until 300 years later. Oh, he supposedly came to Ireland around 432, but that's just based on some loose knowledge of other people that were said to have left Ireland at that time. And there was uh, a passage that said he came a year later. And so they know when that person left uh, a guy named Palladius. But there's no real verification that St. Patrick showed up a year later. What what is known is he was born somewhere in England, the Roman part on the east side of England, probably on the coast. He talked about that. And his dad was a deacon and his grandfather was a a priest. Patrick was not a religious kid. Oh, okay. And at the age of 16, he got captured by Irish pirates, took into slavery and shipped over to Ireland. Whoa. In his captivity, he was basically a shepherd. But he said that he spent those six years he was in captivity talking to God, praying to God, uh, sometimes as many as 100 times a day. And then he said he had a vision that he needed to go get on a boat 200 miles away. So he just walked off for 200 miles. He walked until he just came up on a a shoreline and there's this boat there that was about to leave. And he goes, Hey, can I get a ride on your boat? And the guy's like, no, he's like, okay. And so he turns around and prays and the guy says, wait a minute, come on back. And he goes, if you greet me in this manner of like a pagan, this pagan manner, then I'll let you on the boat. And supposedly St. Patrick said, no, I'm not going to do it. And the guy's like, well, fine, get on the boat anyway. So it's like, uh, okay. So then they sailed for 20, I'm sorry, for three days. And then they they got to land and they were in the wilderness. Again, nobody's quite sure where this was at. Some people think it might have been France. But they wandered this wilderness for 28 days and almost died of hunger. St. Patrick apparently prayed to God out loud. And then within a, a couple hours, this wild boar showed up and they ate. So everybody believed him now. You know, he was a, a man of God and he was 
blessed. So it took him a while, but he finally gets back home. So he's back home to Ireland. Again, nobody knows if his parents were still alive. It's particularly his mom. Nobody even really knows for sure who his mother was, but they do know who his dad and, and granddad was. Or he said that, I guess he, in his letter. So when he got back to Ireland, he started studying to be a bishop or priest. And he had a vision that he needed to go. I'm sorry. When he got back home to Britain, he started to, to train to be a man of God. And then he got a vision that he needed to come back to Ireland. He said a guy came to him by the name of Victorious. And he said that um, he would be the voice of the Irish. And he said, all the people need you. And we appeal to you, old holy servant boy, to come and walk among us. Well, it took six years for him to finish his studies and get ready. But he did go back to Ireland as a Christian missionary. Again, nobody knows where, but there's some people, you know, they're, they argue, but a lot of people put him on Wicklow or at least somewhere close to the coasts. Cause he mentions a lot of stuff about water and baptisms and, and all this stuff. Well, while he's in Ireland, he gets taken prisoner again, but he gets like, let go after 60 days, he gets robbed, but somehow he gets all this stuff back at the same time. He gets basically put on trial back in Britain for stuff. And he denies it, but he never really goes into it and what he was put on trial for. A lot of people think, though, that he was basically in Ireland convincing noble women to give up all their money and stuff and become nuns. And then he would take all that money. Don't know if that's real. Don't know if that's what he was actually accused of. But he was supposedly converting and making nunneries. He was baptizing people. He was going up against like the Druids. He just, I mean, it's... It's weird that he had so much sway, supposedly, over this island where he was considered, you know, a slave or someone to be beat up or whatever. But then all of a sudden, he's now got all this power and and people are following him. And I mean, if you think about it, the Irish people are pretty religious still to this day. Yes. But he managed to do to change most of that in like, you know, just his lifetime. Catholicism to Christianity? No, no, no. From paganism. No. Okay, from paganism. Yeah. Okay. So one of the questions okay. is because why wasn't I, he considered a, uh, a, a saint, right? The Roman church didn't. Right, yes. Because they weren't even canonizing people back then. This was before that process was even a thing. Okay. This is, you know, 400 years after Jesus died, basically. So, I mean, it's this was a long, long time ago. They say he's buried at a place called Downpatrick, but they think that that grave might have been there you know, put there in the 1700s. So, so most of his relics, even they can't date until, you know, after like 1300 or 1100, you're still talking 600 years after his death that they're finding before they're even finding his relics. And I don't know how you can, you know, date those or or whatever, but it just, there's just nothing really around from his time to verify a lot of that other than the stories. And most of the stories were written in the 700s. So it's a very, I don't know. I mean, obviously he was there because there's his churches are still there. Right. You know, there are some things that his, in his uh, last writing that can be verified. It's just when something's literally 1800 years old, you can't, right. you just can't verify so much. There's right? only so much. It's very odd that he's considered in, in um, considered a saint by so much of the world, but yet really from the research we've done, he's one of the ones we know the least about actually being able to prove. Wow. It's very crazy. <laughs> I didn't know. I'm only listening to what you're telling me. I really didn't know anything about him. Yeah. I mean, I had to find out a lot of stuff. I knew like I knew some of the stories about the shamrock, about the snakes. But okay. 
I didn't realize that there is absolutely no proof about either one of those. And I don't know if you looked up any of that. Yes. So I did. We can talk about that a little later, but there really is no proof at all that those are real, but it's interesting. And, you know, for this guy who was kidnapped and put in slavery by the Irish to go back there and become their savior, so to speak, is, I mean, it sounds like a good Christian story. Let me ask you this. My great grandma was extremely straight Irish, it, it appeared, <laughs> and Irish Catholic, mm -hmm. a strong Irish Catholic. So I've always been under the assumption. I guess I've never been interested enough to look it up. <laughs> is Ireland predominantly Christian or Catholicism? Or do they consider Catholicism Christianity? No, the majority are Roman Catholic, but a smaller part are Protestant. But yeah, they're, they're mostly Catholic. And again, the Romans were right next door on England. And I don't know that, though, the Catholic Church was the... I, I don't know if they called it that at that time. I think they just called it Christianity. So I, I think that... One led to the other, you know, I mean, that makes sense. it was more of yeah. the biggest thing was getting them to say, oh, we're Christians and then going from there into whatever. But yeah, okay. I, I just think back then it was really before all that was set up. OK, that makes sense. When you brought up the snake thing mm -hmm. now. Right. So the Catholic Church supposedly started one year after Christ died. But then you had the Roman Catholics, which I think is what we basically think of. Yes. So, yeah, I guess it, it did exist. It just probably wasn't as ritualized at, at that time. Or right, it was right then that it started becoming more of the religious sect. After reading so much about St. Patrick, mm -hmm. do you think he was a good guy? I did a lot more research and, and things get weird. There are some stories that he may have been two people. And the first one might have been Pilatus, the guy who supposedly left. And then the second one may have been a more uh, military-minded kind of guy. because. To me, that makes a little sense. If you're going to come basically force a island to turn religion, military might would seem to be some sort of importance, but there's no record of yes. it. So, you know, that's that's a, a theory. Another theory is that, you know, it might have been multiple people or it might have been a much longer time period with multiple people. You know, because there's no there's nothing about him except his two letters. They really believe he existed, but maybe just not the way he wrote about himself. Because if I wrote a story about myself, I would obviously right. maybe flub a few parts or, you know, yeah, sure. if I was getting I accused totally of a would. crime, be like, no, no, I didn't yeah, take I anybody's would leave money. That part out. Um, <laughs> yeah. I would do the same thing. It's very weird. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. And, you know, again, he's not technically a, a saint, although I think the Catholic church does recognize him as one. But again, that was just because of the timing. There was no canonization process back then. I think it wasn't until like the uh, year 1000 or something that that came about. Earlier, you mentioned snakes. Mm -hmm. And I read about the story. And apparently, as we know in the Bible, serpents are considered evil. So he banished snakes from ever coming to Ireland, which sounds like the best place in the world to live for me. <laughs> The interesting part about that is the island's not conducive for snakes to live. Right. So it makes for a good story. What's your opinion on I that? I did read some more about where that comes from, him banishing the snakes. And there's actually, a it's kind of a weird story. Supposedly he was on a mountain. I don't know how to say it. Crucian Igli? I don't know. Oh, it's fine. But. Yeah. We're going to butcher names. <laughs> 
he was that, he that was just comes with the territory supposedly like doing a 40 day fast on top of this mountain and he got attacked by snakes and he banished them but the other story says that he was attacked by demon birds and banished them by ringing a bell uh which is one of his relics is a bell his bell supposedly but like you said, oh. there has never been any proof that there was ever snakes ever on Ireland. They've never found a skeleton. They've never found right. anything. More than likely, there were never snakes there. But I guess if you yeah. need a reason, right? <laughs> it's just simply the conditions aren't conducive for snakes to live. Right. And, you know, he supposedly banished um, a demonic female serpent that was bothering him into Lachnacara. The mountain is known as Krosh. Fadrig or Crow Patrick. Anyway, so yeah, supposedly, you know, he was doing a fast. He got attacked and he said, you know, you guys got to leave. And they left forever. They went into the sea. Yeah, became sea snakes. Have a St. Patrick's <laughs> bell. So I don't know. Maybe he rang his bell and it ran everything away. Yeah. So if you ever want to see it, there is a bell encased in a bell shrine. So kind of a reliquary for his real bell. It's very Celtic influenced, but. Yeah, there, there, it exists. I don't know if it's real or not as far as the bell inside it, but it exists. Okay, so fast forward to why we celebrate St. Patrick's Day. Really, because the evolution of St. Patrick's Day is an Irish-American construct. And despite the fact that the feast day has been observed in Ireland since the 9th or 10th century, it was actually in New York City that the first parade took place when in 1762, Irish soldiers marched through Manhattan to a local tavern. Patriotism amongst Irish immigrants in America continued to grow. Have you ever been was to St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City? I have. It's yes, huge. It's I have. crazy. It is. It's crazy. Well, we go a lot because we every year we go to the Rockefeller Center and, you know, it's just across the street. So, yeah, we've been in there quite a few times and I never really thought about how, why is there, there's this giant church for, you know, kind of dedicated to him right there. Knowing I, that, I never thought about it either. You know, that's the place, the place where the first parade showed up. I guess that makes way more sense. Yes. We have a traditional shamrock ceremony in the White House. So speaking of shamrock, you know that that was what was used by St. Patrick to teach the Holy Trinity. No, no, tell me about that. Shamrock has three leaves and grows in Ireland, obviously. So the story goes, since the Druids and stuff were nature lovers, he tried to use the, the shamrock as a comparing it to, to the Holy Trinity saying, you know, it, it represents the, the triad, the, the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay. But that story didn't again come out until the 700s. So nobody knows if that's true, but right. that's where it, it basically was tied to him by people saying he used that to preach. Like that was his PowerPoint presentation back then. <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> so yeah. And when, okay. when you always see with the shamrock, it supposedly represents, you know, the, the Holy ghost and the, the father and the son the trinity now let me tell you about this because i i'm gonna read off a couple other little tidbits that people can if they want to share <laughs> so as i stated earlier the first saint patrick's day celebration obviously happened in the united states shamrocks are the national flower emblem of ireland the color of saint patrick's day was originally blue Hmm. which I can't even imagine that, but they changed it to green 
because the Emerald Isle beer is one of the most widely consumed beverages on St. Patrick's Day. Surprise. But your odds of finding a four leaf clover are about one in 10,000. I thought we had, I had a better shot. (laughs) Well, it's better than the lottery. That's true. Guinness is one of the most popular drinks on St. Patrick's Day, along with shamrock shakes. That's all you need. Get drunk, walk from one to the other and be done. Exactly. Made it. (laughs) Exactly. Now there's a darker side, I guess a little bit darker than St. Patrick himself. You know, if it wasn't for St. Patrick's Day, Jennifer Aniston would never have been famous. So true. (laughs) I mean, that movie made her the international superstar that she is. She didn't even know. Hands down. Because her name and friends is Rachel Green. Oh my gosh, I didn't even think of that. That's really good. I've never watched one of those movies. Leprechaun? Mm, I haven't. So the first one was fine. It was cheesy, can't be fun. Then they just went full cheese. But, um, (laughs) you know, Leprechaun in the Hood and Leprechaun in Space. In the Hood. (laughs) So she's in the one. Jennifer Aniston stars in the one in 1993. The original one, yeah. And then the original. Literally a year later, she was in Friends. Wow. Okay. So really that, that jump started her career. Yeah. They're short, they're wrinkled, and they originally didn't even wear green. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about leprechauns. Let's discuss more about leprechauns who already have pots of gold right for the day. <laughs> If you can do it, if you can do it. <laughs> yeah, you can get one. Now, leprechauns were initially written about in the 19th century Irish fables. And as a kid, I always viewed leprechauns as happy, mythical creatures. I was truly, I was truly woefully unaware of the dark side of the rainbow. No, you know, even their name is uh, supposedly from La Cour. Or small body. So yeah, they're they're definitely considered little strange creatures. And the legend of the leprechaun is one of the most enduring myths in Ireland and relates to a mystical type of fairy. So according to fables, like you just said, leprechauns are tiny entities that normally take the form of an old man in a red or green coat. They are known to be mischievous little creatures that like to make shoes and store their gold coins in a pot of gold that is hidden at the end of a rainbow. And if you happen to capture a leprechaun, he will give you three wishes provided you let him go. And it's interesting to note that leprechauns are often associated with wealth, obviously gold coins, But they are actually cobblers, which is hardly a lucrative vocation. But nonetheless, the myth of the pot of gold persists. And there are still people who go looking for this hidden treasure. They're quite nefarious creatures. Now, why leprechauns need gold is another matter entirely, (laughs) since they can't actually spend it. Right. (laughs) Some researchers suggest that this gold is used as a means of tricking humans. And given the leprechaun's propensity for trickery, this is entirely possible. There's a tale of morality that can be taken from the fable of the leprechaun. The fact that they often trick people who seek the pot of gold can be taken as a warning to people 
not to be invested in get-rich-quick schemes. And moreover, you should not look to take what isn't yours, nor should you interfere with things beyond your understanding. The leprechaun has really captured the imagination of Americans and features as Notre Dame's mascot and the symbol of Lucky Charms cereal. There is what I found really fascinating is there's a particular place in Ireland where a man years ago swore that he saw a leprechaun, a real life leprechaun. And this leprechaun left behind some clothing. And so there's an actual piece of land in Ireland that is protected by the government. You are not allowed to hunt or capture. I guess you don't hunt, you capture leprechauns. You're not allowed to capture leprechauns on this particular part of land in Ireland. That's pretty funny, actually. I did not know that. Oh, yeah. It's protected by the EU. That was pretty shocking to me. What have you heard about banshees? Okay. So it's funny coming from a a fantasy filled background. I thought they were people that caused death. Like if you heard the banshees name, you know, scream, it would kill you. But I found out that's not necessarily the actual origin. No. They were pronounced, I'm trying to remember, they were spelled like bean city, but knowing that the correct pronunciation is banshee makes a lot more sense now as well. Yes. So a banshee. Is it a ghost, a spirit, a fairy, a demon in one word? Yeah, I would say so. I'd say a little bit of each, but there is some nuance to be found when defining a banshee. A banshee is a supernatural being from Celtic folklore that takes the form of a shrieking or sometimes a singing woman. And their job is to warn. I don't know if it's their job, but this is what they do. Their purpose. Their purpose is to warn of impending death with someone within the household and can appear in any... There's a few different guises, actually, they can appear in. And some of them are pretty freaky. And they're always female. Yes, they're always female. They can appear as a a beautiful woman wearing white with long red hair. A headless woman carrying a bowl of blood that is naked from the waist up. Awesome. An old woman with, right? An old woman with frightening red eyes, a green dress and long white hair. And an old woman with a all in black and long gray hair. These women were known as keeners, and since they accepted alcohol as payment, they were said to be sinners and punished. As you said, they don't cause death, but they only serve as a warning butt. Some would say there are some some good banshees out there, but on the other side of the coin, there are many tales of evil banshees that derive pleasure from taking a life and they actively seek out their victims and wail at them to the point where the person commits suicide. And there are even banshees that can tear people to shreds. And these horrific apparitions are what are featured in modern day horror films. So, so not something also, I want to run across. No, basically. it's not something I want to run across either. And not all of them are hate filled. So you never know. But sometimes people have spotted banshees that are washing the bloodstained clothes of those who are about to die, which is pretty freaky. Yeah, they were and, supposed to be re- uh, also supposed to have washed like the armor of 
soldiers that were about to die. Oh, okay. I don't want a banshee. No, me neither. I think I'd rather catch a leprechaun. Yes, I'll stick with the leprechaun. But it is really, it it is pretty interesting. And now now I'm looking at St. Patrick's Day completely different. Well, with all this (laughs) stuff, that's why people get drunk, I guess, right? You got to survive it. I guess that makes perfect sense. Well, this was actually way more fun and dark than I thought it was going to be. Just because it starts off with a saint getting captured and put into slavery. (laughs) Right, right, right. And then 1,800 years later, we dye the rivers green. It's a very, I mean, it's obviously a holiday that I've grown up with, you know, forever. I never thought about other than, well, I'm going to get lucky or catch a leprechaun or, you know, dress in green so I don't get pinched and and whatever. I was just about to say, happy St. Patrick's Day. (laughs) Yeah, you too. Try not to uh, get caught or captured by anybody or anything. (laughs) Actually, what's funny is we're going to... The St. Patrick's Day Parade is in Dallas tomorrow, and we're going to a friend's house that lives near there, but we're leaving before it starts, so I'm I'm avoiding that nonsense. (laughs) I don't blame you. No, I don't blame you at all. And um, (laughs) I'm pretty sure my mother-in-law is a banshee, actually, (laughs) with the wailing and screaming and the singing, so I'm going to avoid her, and yeah, that's my goal. We will be back with... Some other creepy, another really creepy episode. Sounds but fun. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Paranovice podcast. If you have seen something on social media that looks unknown and strange, or if you have a personal experience to share, email us at paranovicepodcast at gmail.com. We welcome suggestions, comments, or questions on Instagram at Paranovice Podcast. Join us next week.